0: and others shying away, saying that we've got problems here at home as though we can't solve our problems here at home and be the leader of the free world. And frankly, the other, the other big issue, other than life, which I just talked about, is frankly that we, we, have a, we have a national debt the size of our nation's economy today. And it really threatens the economic vitality of our country uh, for generations to come. And Joe Biden won't even talk about common sense and compassionate reforms to the entitlement programs that are driving most of that spending. And frankly, the former president has the exact same position as Joe Biden. Well, I I believe that we owe it to future generations to put our fiscal house in order to bring about the kind of reforms that will restore fiscal solvency. I mean, it's that runaway spending in Washington, Tammy, that's driving the inflation, that's raising the cost of living for your family and for mine. And, and I believe that staying true to that conservative principle, staying true to American leadership in the world, as well as staying true to being a champion for the right to life, is now, it's, it's now uh, in a very real sense uh, uh, what separates me from my former running mate, and it's much of what brings me to this race today.
1: You've talked extensively. Um, Tammy, Tammy has sat down, so we'll, we'll come back here in the studio. You've talked extensively Uh, and more and more aggressively about this divide in the Republican Party that you are seeing. Um, You know, Ronald Reagan famously said about being a Democrat, right? He said, you know, I didn't leave the Democratic Party. The Democratic Party left me. Uh, And you talked about how the Republican Party was changing in very stark terms. St. Anselm College in New Hampshire um, last week, an important speech. We'll play a clip.
0: So today I asked my fellow Republicans this. In the days to come, will we be the party of conservatism, or will we follow the siren song of populism unmoored to conservative principles? The future of this movement and this party belongs to one or the other, not both. That's because the fundamental divide between these two factions is unbridgeable.
1: All right, so that, that is the line, an unbridgeable divide in the Republican Party. And you've said that Donald Trump should not be the president again. You're running, you're running against him. But you've also promised to support the nominee of the Republican Party. Donald Trump right now is 50 points plus uh, ahead of you right now, or 50 points ahead. As a man who talks so often, and you have, about putting principle ahead of politics, how can both things be true, that he is unfit to serve and that you would support the nominee?
0: Well, because I intend to be the Republican nominee for President of the United <laughs> States, and I'm going to vigorously support my candidacy. I promise you that. Look, uh, you can go talk to the people in Iowa who will have the first crack at this thing, the Iowa caucus on January 15. Uh, I'm not talking about you, Leland, but a lot of people in the national media want to say this thing's over. Well, I think this thing is in the hands of the American people. Well- and That's I, why
1: we're having this event with you, because
0: we no, don't think it's over. Yeah, I know you don't. And I commend you. I commend News Nation for that. But look, look, the presidency belongs to the American people. And I believe different times call for different leadership. And I have to tell you, whether it was the the, the five stops we had yesterday in Iowa or when I was in Independence at, at M's Coffee Company early today, um, I think the people of Iowa are doing what they always do. They're taking careful consideration, of all the candidates, uh, and, and they're going to shape our national leadership. It's maybe going to be more important than it ever was in the past for Iowa to step forward and start the conversation for a new beginning for the Republican Party and a new beginning for America. But I do want to take issue with something that you said. Okay. Look, I, I'm not. I'm I, only an hour in. I was expecting look, this I, earlier. Look, I don't. Leland, I, I think there are leading candidates for the presidency and the Republican Party that have changed. And there are some people who have embraced uh, more populist views that depart from a traditional conservative agenda in our party. But I still believe the vast majority of Republicans believe in a strong defense, American leadership in the world, fiscal responsibility, limited government, traditional values, and the right to life. And that's my message. And it's not just a message. I Somebody somebody in the last debate said that uh, positions were poll-tested. Right? I don't have a pollster, right? I mean, what you hear me saying is what I've been saying for the last 30 years in my life. It's who I am. Uh, I'm a Christian, a conservative, and a Republican in that order. I've, I, I've never changed. After I became an adult and found that foundation of faith in my life and found the foundation of a deep conviction in the conservative agenda I've been about those things, and I still believe that's where most Republican voters are. But we're going to test that theory starting on uh, January 15th at the Iowa caucuses.
1: All right. Well, so again, and you've said this on the campaign trail, you answered a question to me about this, that there are things, that there are times that principle is more important than than politics. You signed the pledge to get on the debate stage that you would support the eventual nominee does that mean you would support Donald Trump? And how is that not putting politics ahead of principle?
0: Well, no, it's, it's, it's about trusting the American people. It's about recognizing that it's a decision that belongs to the American people. And I, I just trust the American people are going to choose wisely once again. I, I trust the people of Iowa. I trust the people of New Hampshire and Nevada and South Carolina and, and all the states that get the first say on this thing. You know, Indiana doesn't get to weigh in until May. I mean... And I told people this week in Iowa, I said, because they say, oh, you're Mike Pence, nice to meet you here in Iowa. And I said, you know, if I'd have run into somebody running for president when I was growing up in Indiana, I'd have had a heart attack. But in Iowa, they're pretty used to it, and they take it to heart. And, uh, and Iowa, New Hampshire, and these early states are going to play a critical role, and I, I think they're going to step up. They're going to give us new leadership fitted to the times. Because men and women, I will tell you, I've said it once, I'll say it again, this country's in a lot of trouble. Now is not the time for on-the-job training. We don't need a president who's too old. We don't need a president who's too young. I stand before you today and I say with deep humility, I know in my heart of hearts, not precisely what the next 18 months looks like for my family, but if you give me the opportunity to be your president, I will know what to do and who to do it with on day one and we will turn this country around. So help me God.
1: When you were vice president, The real issue was on the border. It was something that that your 2016 campaign really focused on. Whoever is the next president is going to have to deal with a migrant crisis uh, that knows no borders. More of your questions when we come back, including about the migrant crisis here in the United States. Police here in Chicago are quite upset after their police station was turned into a shelter. Take a look.
2: This is absolutely unacceptable and ridiculous working conditions.
1: Okay, is a border city, including here in Chicago, which brings us to our next question from Colin. He's a financial analyst here in Chicago. A lifelong resident? Yes, sir. Lifelong resident. Go ahead. Welcome to Chicago, Mr. Vice President. Thanks, Colin. Chicago is currently experiencing
3: a massive influx of illegal migrants, leading to proposed tent cities and causing a devastating strain on our city's resources and budget. What is your plan to reduce illegal immigration at the southern border?
0: Colin, we have the worst crisis at our southern border in American history. And it's a man-made crisis. And that man's name is Joe Biden. Under our administration, we had reduced illegal immigration and asylum abuse by 90 percent by the time we left office. Joe Biden came into office, and on day one, he shut down construction of the border wall. We would built hundreds of miles of wall. You can go down there today, and you'll see see what looks like parked railroad trains of girders rusting in the sunshine with large gaps in the wall. Border patrol agents will tell you that cartels are in operational control of our border today. Then he's been working to undo what was called the remain in Mexico policy that I negotiated on behalf of the administration with the Mexicans. It said, if you're going to apply for asylum, as millions of the people that have now been dispersed through our country are doing, that we'd ask you to wait in Mexico while we schedule your hearing to consider your application. That, combined with Title 42 that allowed us to return illegal immigrants back across the border... Literally ended illegal immigration and asylum abuse. Joe Biden undid all of that and sent a signal south of the border that we that our borders are open and that an avalanche of humanity, the largest example of human trafficking in human history, is taking place. The cartels charge about five thousand dollars American to haul people up, often abusing people on the way, particularly I say the heavy heart, young women and the elderly. Um, and, and, and arrive in the border and shove them across. But under this administration, um, the situation's only going to get worse. I mean, I, I actually heard the current vice president, uh, Kamala Harris, say that uh, they'd improve the situation, but it gets worse and gets better like the weather. No, it's not like the weather. We can control our southern border. A nation without borders is not a nation. We prove that you can control the southern border. So I will tell you that day one of any administration that I lead will 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 restart construction of the wall, will put Remain in Mexico back into effect, Title 42 back into effect, and we will expedite the asylum applications of these millions of people, hundreds of thousands of which have been sent to Chicago, to New York, to major cities around the country, uh, and, and we'll process those people. Now, where people literally have... A legitimate claim for asylum, we have laws that consider that. But other people, if it's denied, they go home. And, uh, but this, this is an extraordinary crisis, and the American people deserve to know it. It, is, it, it is 100% at the feet of Joe Biden. It's one more reason why we need new leadership in the White House.
1: Colin, well, you talked a lot about, and you asked about the southern border, but you talked a lot about what was happening in Chicago here. Where in Chicago do you live? Describe to us what it's like for you, how it's changed. Sure. Well, I live on the north side and you could just walk down the street, um, people living
3: in doorways, putting up tents in public parks, massive tents. And now
1: our mayor is proposing uh, ten cities because there's just so many here now. Hard to imagine how ten cities would work out in the winter in Chicago, but Weatherized. Today, yeah. Uh, so m- Mr. Vice President, th- th- this is a, you 've talked about closing the southern border you 've got sanctuary mayor sanctuary states around the country now where what 's happening in Chicago is being replicated. How on a federal level do you deal with the situation that has now been created in these cities?
0: Well, you defund sanctuary cities first of what does foremost. that mean though well that means you say to, you say to cities like New York and like Chicago and other cities that that at least said they were sanctuary cities, and still they were turned into sanctuaries, right? I mean, I, I don't know what the new mayor of Chicago is saying about it, but I actually, I actually commended Mayor Eric Adams in New York because he finally was calling out the Biden administration and saying this is a threat to our city, it's a threat to the safety in our city, it's a threat to our economy. And then when I praised him for it at a press conference, he blamed the Trump administration. Again, we had secured the southern border. This, this whole uh, crisis began when Joe Biden literally undid every policy that we put uh, into effect. Uh, but look, I, I think you use the power of the purse, federal government, and say that we're, we're going to defund uh, sanctuary cities around the country until they, they dismantle the sanctuary city uh, 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 criteria, and, and so that they're not magnets for attracting illegal immigration into the country. And then, uh, and then at the end of the day, as I said, you need to, you need to expedite the process of these people that are brought in to the country. But I also want to say one other thing, and that is that, look, we have a broken immigration system in this country. All right? We have a broken border, but we also have a broken immigration system. And when my grandfather came to this country in 1923, he stepped off a boat onto Ellis Island. Richard Michael Cawley came here to work, and he came here to be an American. And that was how Michael Richard Pence got his name and got to be vice president of the United States. Our families live that American dream, but that dream doesn't work for people anymore. Now we have this incoherent system of chain migration that's largely based on families. If I'm president of the United States, Leland, I'm going to go to the American people, I'm going to go to the Congress and say we need a merit-based immigration system in this country that literally says, what are the needs in the economy here in Illinois? What are the needs of the economy in Indiana, in Iowa, everywhere around America? And then open the doors of our country to people to come in legally that want to come here and work in those professions, in the city and on the farm that we need them to work. That's what a merit-based immigration system is. And frankly, it's what it was. When my grandfather came here, he had to get a credential in a certain profession because there was a quota for people in certain professions to be admitted through Ellis Island. We gotta get, got get back to that idea and start putting the interest of America first, but have an immigration system that works for a growing American economy.
1: And certainly, as we've seen about how many jobs are needed to be filled in America, that's, that's an important point. You brought up uh, earlier in the town hall uh, the, the divide in the Republican Party over Ukraine, which is, which is interesting. And we, we are now hearing some Republicans sound a lot like Neville Chamberlain did um, in the ni- in the 1930s, Kevin, uh, who's a communications specialist, he lives in Iowa, has a question for you about Ukraine.
3: Good evening, um, Vice President Hi, Pence. Kevin. Um, Pre- president Trump says he would end the war in Ukraine within 24 hours if he was elected president once again. What would you do to end the war in Ukraine?
0: Well, the only way you can end the war in Ukraine in 24 hours is by letting Putin have everything he wants. Look, I've met Vladimir Putin. For the last 20 years, he's been very clear that his ambition is to reclaim the old Soviet sphere of influence in Eastern Europe. Now, let me be clear. I think, Kevin, I think Joe Biden has done a terrible job explaining what our national interest is in providing military support to the Ukrainian military. It gives these gauzy speeches about democracy that, for all the world, sound like campaign speeches. I believe our national interest there is that I am convinced that if the Ukrainian military doesn't stop and repel that Russian invasion, it's not going to be too long before that Russian army crosses a border that our men and women in uniform are going to have to go and fight under our NATO treaty. I truly believe it, whether that's whether that's Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, whether it's Baltic or Poland, I don't know. But we had this idea called the Reagan Doctrine, which was back in the day, we said, if you're willing to fight the communists in your country, we'll give you the means to fight them there so we don't have to fight them. That's our national interest there. Look, it's a humanitarian crisis. I, I visited Ukraine. I will tell you. The war crimes that have taken place there, the unconscionable brutality of the Russian military speaks for itself. But but I believe the reason why we need to give the Ukrainian military what they need, and not in the, not in the dribs and drabs the, the, the Biden administration has done, but give them the resources that they need to fight and to win and to drive that Russian military back is because it's in our interest, and I think ultimately it's in the interest of peace and security in the world. Lastly, I will tell you this. If if, uh, if if Putin somehow wins, either all or part of what he wants in Ukraine, I think that's going to embolden China's military ambitions in the Asia Pacific. But but you achieve peace through strength, and by using a, what what amounts to three percent of our national defense budget, as we have so far to support the Ukrainian military, let them push back the Russians. I think that'll discourage China uh, from its military ambitions in the Asia Pacific, especially with regard to Taiwan. That, that's how we achieve a more peaceful future, and that's what it means to be the leader of the free world.
1: Why do you think, sir, there are so many Republicans, uh, both Republican primary voters and, by extension or maybe by, by leadership, so many uh, of the other candidates in the primary, so willing to turn their back on the Ukrainians?
0: Well, I, I think that disaster...
1: is What is it?
0: No, I think... Uh, I think his lack of confidence in Joe Biden as commander in chief. I mean, look, that that disastrous withdrawal in Afghanistan should never have happened, and it's emboldened the enemies of freedom around the world. And I frankly think it's it's understandable uh, that Republicans, independents, and many Democrats hear Joe Biden say, "Now this is the this is what else we should be doing," and and we question that. I get it, particularly with the uh, with the terribly ineffective way that he's described our interests there. But I I will tell you that from all of my experience as your vice president, traveling the world, meeting many of these world leaders, being out there with our military, having some of the military in our immediate family, and my years on the International Relations Committee, I I think this is a very perilous time on the world stage. It's no time for on-the-job training. The next president of the United States is going to have to be able to deal with these world leaders. It's going to require, first, let we're going to build up our military to make sure the strongest military in the history of the world is stronger than ever before. And then we're going to have to send a very clear message to these authoritarian regimes that the United States is going to defend uh, our country and we're going to defend our interests around the world. That's what we mean by peace through strength. And I believe that that will be supported by the broad majority, not just of Republicans, but independents, and Democrats around the country as well. Uh,
1: One issue is, uh, Kevin pointed out, that you are uh, at odds with your uh, former boss, former running mate uh, on. Marco, who's a manager here in Chicago, has a question about your relationship with former President
4: Trump. Sure. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Vice President. Thank you. Um, You've spoken at length about how you disagree with Trump on uh, the Ukraine um, situation. And um, you've spoken a a lot on that. And I'm more interested in your points of differentiation with the former president on domestic policy, particularly when you were the vice president. Mm -hmm. You know, I haven't had the benefit of reading your book. You might plug that. I don't know. But uh, I recommend you do. Yeah. uh, I'm I'm curious, like, were there moments that you can speak to now that, like, no, we should not have done that. And I think because a lot of people trust Trump, that he's actually going to stand up for them and fight for them if we can kind of see where he didn't stand up for them. Like, that, that might help, right? Or, but I'd like to hear your thoughts. Thanks.
0: Well, first let me say, you know, one of the things I've realized since I left office is that I'm, I'm well-known, but I'm not known well. Most people know me as that loyal vice president standing alongside the president. I thought my job was always to be prepared, to be informed, to be of service whenever called into service, but not to be the story. We don't elect co-presidents in this country. So anytime I had a difference of opinion with President Trump, I shared it with him in private, which is, I think, what a a vice president owes to a president. And um, I shared some of those things in my book, and uh, I recount those. One of them is about Afghanistan. And the president was intent on pulling all of our troops out of Afghanistan. Our military commanders, though, recommended that we leave a couple of thousand troops there, just like we have in Syria, just to maintain a, what they called a counterterrorism operation. So that in the event that terrorist elements emerge, that we would be able to hit them before we have another day like we had 22 years ago this week. Um, I, I made it clear that I thought that that was a prudent course, uh, and the part of me thinks that we would have eventually gotten there. But President Trump very much wanted all of the troops out. And when Joe Biden came in, I'm, I'm confident our military commanders told him the same thing. But in his case, he pulled all the troops out. And we all saw the disaster that followed, including the loss of 13 brave American service members, including a, a young Hoosier Marine named Umberto Sanchez. He was at the Abbey Gate in Afghanistan at the Kabul airport. He heard over his radio that uh, somebody had gotten past the wire that looked like they meant harm. And as I learned when Karen and I went to his funeral in Logansport, Indiana, just one Marine family to another, his mom told me and his fellow Marines told me that when he got the order to pull back, Umberto Sanchez refused. Because he radioed back that everybody in my line are all women and children. I've got to get them through. And he took the brunt of the blast. I mean, the truth is, if, if we'd had a modicum of troops there, I don't believe the Taliban would have ever moved. And Afghanistan would be a very different place today. And that was a difference that we had. But when I, hear, when I hear now the former president and, frankly, uh, a number of others in this uh, in this contest, that are that are saying that we got to choose between solving problems here at home and being the leader of the free world, I think that's a false choice. I mean, look, I want to be clear with you. I've been at this a while. All right, we can make our streets safe. We can secure our border. We can revive our economy. We can unleash American energy. We can solve the problems facing American families, and be the leader of the free world. And anybody that thinks different has got a pretty small view of the greatest nation on earth. And I promise you, as your president, uh, we'll do both. And America will be more prosperous and secure as a result.
5: All right.
1: Mr. Vice President, this brings us uh, to our lightning round. So uh, we'd appreciate one, two-word answers just uh, as we go through this. Uh, We did a lot of research uh, ahead of this, looked way back in the archives of Mike Pence. Be interested to see what we found.
0: Last week, Indiana Democrats selected the O'Bannon team. And this week, here at the state Republican convention, delegates selected the Goldsmith team. But how will the two compare? Join us as we rate the matchups. It's O'Bannon versus Goldsmith tonight on the Mike Pence Show.
1: Do you remember who won?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I do. (laughs) yeah, I, I, I was in your line of work for a I while. I You got
1: any critiques? You got, one, you got like 10 seconds. No, I was no?
0: never right. as good as you. I never would have made it on News Nation, but it's an honor <laughs> to be here tonight.
1: All right. Here we go for the lightning round. Uh, best Indiana sports movie, Rudy Hoosiers or Breaking Away?
0: Got to be Hoosiers.
1: All right. Did you ever get briefed on UFOs? Yes. Are they real? Let me just
0: say it doesn't exist, but I've been to Area 51 and I didn't meet anybody that wasn't from around here.
1: Okay. All right. There's the answer. Um, best piece of advice Joe Biden gave you about being vice president? Well, he did
0: give me some advice. And um, it was um, stay close to the president. And build that relationship. I mean, I will tell you, for all the faults of the Obama-Biden years, they had a good working relationship. And, and I will tell you, it didn't end the way I wanted it to, but I'm very proud of the relationship uh, that I had with President Trump during our four years. And I believe that relationship contributed to the extraordinary accomplishments of our administration. I'll always be proud of the record of the Trump-Pence administration.
1: Right now, there is a media obsession about Tim Scott's status as a bachelor. I don't know if you read the Washington Post story. No. Uh, Should that matter uh, as running for president? No. Okay. Uh, Most important thing you told Kamala Harris?
0: I called her up when she was selected to be Joe Biden's running mate. I congratulated her, and I told her we'd pray for her. And we had.
1: We we have been told, reliable sources say, many people say, that you do a very impressive impression of Bill Clinton. The floor (laughs) is yours. Bill Clinton? You got a better one? I talk like George Bush a little bit, but I don't talk like Bill Clinton. All right. Uh, as a reminder, at the start of the evening, it we asked off. I was with him for eight years. Very good. Uh, <laughs> as, as a reminder, at the start of the evening, we asked how many of you were undecided mm. uh, on who you would support in the Republican primary show of hands tonight, uh, both here and in Iowa. Who is more likely to vote for Mr. Pence uh, because of what you heard this evening? All right. Well, you've got a couple in Iowa and a couple of hands that are just somewhat, somewhat raised. We'll let you get back to the campaign trail. Uh, we thank you for being with us. Obviously, we thank our audiences both here and in Chicago, uh, in Iowa. Conversation continues on social media using the hashtag Pence Town Hall. We're going to see you on the campaign trail. My friend Blake Berman is uh, standing by to critique both of us. He'll have some thoughts uh, on this. And with that, good night.
3: And the former vice president, Mike Pence. Good evening. Thank you for being with us for a special late night showing of The Hill on News Nation. Just moments ago, as you saw there, News Nation wrapped up our exclusive town hall with the former vice president. You heard him talk about a myriad of issues affecting those around the country, from the looming UAW strike, where the night began, the border crisis just a little while ago, his other rivals uh, in the Republican field, and yes, even UFOs. I'm Blake Berman, joined tonight by a great panel who is here to break down what was just said, what they make of it, what it means for Mike Pence going forward. We have Morgan Ortegas, former State Department spokesperson for the Trump administration, Johanna Mosca, former Obama administration official and News Nation contributor, and Bob Cusack, editor-in-chief of The Hill. Hello, hello. We normally do this at 5 Eastern, but good evening (laughs) to everyone. Um, Bob, we'll start with you. Mike Pence,
6: 90 minutes. You just heard from him. What'd you make of it? Uh, listen, uh, he has a good way about him with voters. He remembers first names. He connects with them. I was surprised that he just jabbed at Trump. Hmm. He didn't throw any real haymakers. You know, and Iowa is a state he should be doing very well in. And basically, he's still in single digits. So I think this was, I think in, in the last debate, he was very strong and feisty. I expected more of that. And there were some answers he just. Just dodged.
7: And it was long. He was very long winded on some of these. I mean, we know that, that he's going to be long winded. But the most direct he was, was how is Trump's going to win the war in Ukraine in 24 hours? And his answer was, he's going to give it all to Vladimir Putin and that will be bad for China. And that was the most direct and probably the strongest answer he had of why him and not Trump.
8: Yeah, I, I mean, listen, I think as, as someone who worked with him, I do think that the audience was seeing uh, who Mike Pence really is. I, def, I do do mm-hmm. feel like he was incredibly authentic tonight. He stayed true to his core beliefs. He didn't apologize to, for any of them. For better or worse, he did not try to moderate and go to the middle. And yes. he said, listen, this is who I stand for. This I'm is a who Mike Pence is. He said, I'm not a populist, right? I'm a yeah. classic conservative. He believes in family values. He's pro-life. Um, and, and he really stuck by those uh, tonight. I also would Say, you know, I commend him and any politician that comes on News Nation to do this town hall. It's difficult to stand up, get tough questions from Leland, to be in front of the voters. So I'm grateful he did it.
3: Bob, I think you hit it the central theme. And it was asked of the former vice president tonight. What makes you any different than Donald Trump? Why are you challenging him now? After all, he stood by Donald Trump's side for five years, candidate, and then the vice president. And As we've seen what's happened in the Republican Party right now, with Donald Trump basically has half of the Republican primary or Republican base with him. And then the question is, how can Mike Pence capture some of that? He was asked tonight, essentially, why did you challenge Donald Trump now? This was his response.
0: But I stand before you today because uh, the former president and frankly others in this field are, are walking away from many of those principles where we where we stood strong on the world stage where we demonstrated a willingness to use American power to stand with our allies. I hear the former president now shying away from American leadership on the world stage.
3: You were in the Trump administration, Mm -hmm. State Department spokesperson. Does that answer play right there?
8: Well, I think that uh, it does play with some parts of the primary. Uh, I do think Joanna was right that that was the one place where he was willing to be the most uh, critical uh, of President uh, Trump. And, uh, you know, listen, he also explained his position on Russia and Ukraine in a way uh, that I I, I think President Biden actually should take his advice. He said, you have to explain our national interests and why we are spending billions of dollars, why we're supporting Ukrainians. He was very clear Uh, that it is because he believes Putin has uh, ambitions beyond Ukraine that would affect uh, affect NATO and would affect American national interests. So I actually think he did a good job of of explaining and and giving clarity on the Ukraine issue.
3: Does it pull him, though, from
6: 5% to the next level of 10 12% where he needs to go? No, it doesn't. And I've known Pence for 20 years. And when he was in Congress, I know he did an imitation of George W. Bush. (laughs) He took on George W. Bush on a Medicare bill that was very expensive, that passed very narrowly. Mm-hmm. That's a big difference between Trump and Pence. Pence should embrace it, saying, We got to deal with Medicare. We got to deal with Social Security. The spending under Trump was out of control for conservatives. Yeah. And he didn't say that. He
7: didn't say that. And then when it comes to the the broader question of how he's going to appeal, like what the difference is with the Democratic Party, you know, when he was asked about UAW, of course he goes into the binomics thing, but yeah, it we'll was like, what are you going to do?
8: I'm going to sit down with them. What do you think the White House is doing? They're sitting down with them. Yeah, <laughs> I, you know, I think Tim, uh, team Pence is probably saying we have no clue what's going to happen in the next year, right? We have uh, two uh Elderly men that are leading the nomination for both of their parties. One is obviously the current sitting president, and I think Pence. Pence's team is probably gambling on he's going to be strong, he's going to be steady, he's going to be competent, he's going to be no drama, and maybe there ends up being a lane for that.
3: All right, out to Chicago we go. News Nation political editor Chris Stierwald, uh there, watching the night unfold
9: in person. Chris, your takeaways. Y'all people are very hard on Mike Pence. Uh, maybe they kept you all cooped up in there too long. But, um, I was nice. I, I, I can, I, that's true. That's true. Uh, I can tell you it was, a different, it was a different energy in the room, and I can tell you it was a different energy with the audience. And I think if we bear in mind what happened with Mitt Romney today and we think about what's going yeah. on inside the Republican Party. Uh, which is it is a a struggle for the control of the party, for the life of the party. And the traditional Republican Party, the conservatives, are losing. Uh, And that's not a nice thing to have to tell your party, right? It's not fun, as Mitt Romney had to do today, to come out and say, we're on the short end of the stick. In his speech last week, Mike Pence had tough medicine for his party, right? He said these populists, uh, these nationalists, uh, these folks are going to take over the party. We're going to lose the party and it's going to be bad for the country. What he was trying to do tonight was take that message in a more palatable way to real voters, right? To tell people in Iowa where he's got to win. And basically it comes down to this. If you poll test everything, if you're like, okay, well, I'm at five, how do I get to seven? Uh, And I think Morgan alluded to this uh, quite well, which is, we don't know what's going to happen from here to there, and really, as Ron DeSantis' campaign has uh, effulgently proven, nobody really knows what's going to work. So what you ought to do is do what you think is right, stake your ground, and stick to it, and hope that when the wheel turns around, that it turns in your favor. Uh, but the folks I talked to out here, talked to in the audience before and after, uh, I got the sense that they came away with better feelings about Mike Pence than when they came in. Huh.
3: The, the issue for Pence, uh, or one of them, Chris, is obviously, and, and we heard this from the audience tonight, which was, why now, right? Why challenge Donald Trump now? And he sort of needled him a little bit. He said Donald Trump had a, quote, very diverse background. Uh, before they got into office, right, donating to Democrats and Republicans. But as we were discussing during the commercial break, that that was sort of tried in in 2016 and didn't hit home. Uh, He said, we don't need a president who is too old and not a president who is too young, essentially alluding to Biden and Trump and then, you know, Ramaswamy and and maybe uh, Ron DeSantis. Uh, But did he answer the question, for those in the audience, you know, you were there, I'm the guy for the Republican Party and not the guy that I worked for.
9: So you're looking for a flight to quality. Uh, The the concept in investing uh, is the same as in campaigns, that when things get weird and there is a a crack up in support, that you want to be a blue chip where people go. Uh, and, And late in the game, as people are thinking about it, obviously Mike Pence had the most... Presidential, You know, this is uh, this is our third one of these more to come. Uh, but Mike Pence has the most presidential kind of bearing. And I'm sure he hopes that that redounds to his benefit later on. But We have to remember what Mike Pence's central problem is. I don't know that he fully addressed it tonight, which is for the quarter of the Republican Party that is determined not to return Donald Trump to power. For those folks, they're skeptical of Mike Pence for the reasons that you all laid out, that you all talked about. How can you stand shoulder to shoulder with this guy, praise him, excuse his errors, excuse misconduct? How can you do that and now tell us that you're going to lead the crusade? Because, of course, if you do what Chris Christie does and go take the uh, a torch to Trump like Frankenstein's monster, if you do that, you're turning off the other three quarters of the party finding the voice to do that. And I think Pence is, is still not in a sufficient space when it comes to right. talking about what do you do if Donald Trump is the nominee uh, and he's not quite ready to get there yet. But I think he advanced the ball tonight and I think he looked yeah. humane. I thought his interaction with that mom or with that guidance counselor uh, and so other. I, uh, I want to
3: roll. I, I want to roll yeah. that soundbite. Yeah, real quick. Let, let, let's for the audience who may not have seen it about. Uh, an hour ago this is a mother and a social worker from Iowa there were also questions from uh the first in the nation uh first caucus state uh Melissa mother social worker about uh bless you Morgan about lgbt <laughs> rights uh and what to do about that with children we'll get your reaction on the other side
10: it is very hard for me to ask these questions after just hearing what i heard What is your policy plan to protect the transgender community, specifically black and brown trans women, from historically high levels of violence?
0: When it comes to surgical or chemical procedures, I just I really believe that we've got to protect our kids from decisions that will affect them the balance of their lives. While at the same time saying that adults can make decisions according to the dictates of their own conscience.
3: So that was the moment, Chris, you were in the room. What was it like there?
9: Yeah, and 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 the thing is, Pence had the opportunity. That's that's a tough question, right? Uh right. and he had just answered a question from a, a a young expectant mother about her concerns in the opposite direction. Uh I thought that what Mike Pence did in that exchange was be humane. He talked about loving her, he talked about loving his neighbor. He was clear on his policy about being opposed to uh surgical chemical interventions for minors, but talked about it, you know, uh, we joke about how he he often sounds like George W. Bush, but I was reminded of the way that George W. Bush successfully navigated questions around gay marriage and other things mm-hmm. by talking about humanity and talking about loving your neighbor. And I thought I thought that was a really good moment for Pence.
3: Chris Starwell, News Nation political editor. Thank you, sir. Safe travels back. We'll see you uh, later this week. See you back on set. <laughs> All right, later, bud. Um, that moment was the emotional well, moment of the evening. We talk about it during the commercial break on News Nation. now.
8: And and Pence, I think, has always been very good in those moments. He, he almost feels pastoral, right, right. in those moments. Where you try. And, and they clearly had a very big difference of opinion. It, it reminded me, Joanna, of uh, when we were going into the vice presidential debate mm-hmm. uh, and, and everyone thought it's going to be tough to beat uh, uh, Kamala Harris, who was then the senator from California because she had been a prosecutor mm-hmm. and she had this experience. And I think that he came unscathed out of the in a way that would have been hard for almost anyone else that would yeah. have been running on the Republican ticket. I, I think that's where he shines. He was respectful of their differences, but again, it was that calm, pastoral nature, which may which may have been hard for some of the other Republican presidents. But there Ultimately, Melissa was
7: not happy with that answer. But she never would No, I don't think that's true. I think there's actually a segment of Republicans who just, they want the fiscal conservatism, but they don't want the judgment. And Mike Pence was very crystal clear with voters that he is going to follow a traditional conservative Christian values and that he does not believe that they have those rights for children to seek treatment. We'll
3: break down more of this coming up, by the way, one of the first things uh, that that the former vice president got into Bidenomics went right after the president at the beginning. Uh, More to come. When we come back, we'll talk with Leland Vitter about his biggest takeaways from the evening. Stay with us.
2: You know how to book flights and hotels. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.
5: Uh, you know, maybe he had uh, would have given it uh, some more thought and could come up with uh, some specifics. And at, uh, at first, I didn't know if he really understood the uh, the question. But then after he, he got into it, he realized what the question was. And he came up with uh, three items that I thought... Uh, um, what uh, you know, could have been done differently. Uh, the uh, the origin of the uh, coronavirus and uh, the uh, uh, the masking, the mandates, and um, uh, uh the, the third item. And I don't remember exactly what he said, Operation but uh, he War did address State, those yeah. issues. Yeah. Uh, or, well, he did talk about that, uh, but but I think he did address the issues, and he wasn't specific about it, but it was obvious that, um, uh, that I think the next time he's, he's he as president, he would probably review. And would definitely lead the country in a different direction.
3: Did he get your vote tonight,
5: Dale? Well, I'm. uh, You know, I have an open mind. We have a long time to go. Um, I've. uh, uh, I've always admired. I have. I have a a deep respect for uh, um, uh, Vice President uh, Pence, Um, and uh, he still has my respect. uh, at, At this point, we have a lot to do. And I'm going to keep an open mind about it. Um, and uh, we'll see how it goes over the next uh, uh, six or eight months or so.
3: Dale Raskowski, thanks for joining us. Good on you on, on showing up and asking the tough question tonight, one of them at least. Uh, Dale Raskowski, have a good evening. Thank you.
5: Pleasure. You too. Uh,
3: Scott, hello. Good evening. How you doing? Good. Uh, you're the pollster. Do you think anything <laughs> moved the, the needle tonight? uh unfortunately no why not i mean if we look at the last chris two- chris thinks chris, chris asked the question are you chris basically said you guys are being too tough i know and you say, unfortunately not so. <laughs> well
10: yeah and let me just i have some data behind that so okay. we, we saw mike pence vice president mike pence give a debate or participate in a debate two weeks ago on average he's moved up a half point across all of the polls it's not horrible but that's inside the margin of error especially when you look at other candidates like nikki haley tim scott they moved up a couple of points. Vivek Ramaswamy moved up two points. Ron DeSantis moved down two points. And Donald Trump is still has a commanding lead in the 538 polling average yeah. above 51. So long story short,
3: I don't see a whole lot of different movement out of this, but that's why we look at the data. All right. Let's bring in real quick Leland Vittert, of course, the, the uh, moderator of tonight's uh, town hall uh, with the former vice president. Leland, I think we got you now. Uh, first off, good job, sir. Uh, that was fun. Enjoyed it. <laughs> Uh, like the line of questioning, it looked like you had a good time. Uh, what was your takeaway yeah. from from being there and and going ninety minutes with him?
1: Well, look, Mike Pence is who he is. I've known him for a long time. I've covered him for a long time. Uh, you have as well, Blake. And and the one thing that you you realize about Mike Pence is he is he's a man of principle. He uh, does not change uh, as the American public changes. He doesn't change his views. He doesn't really change um, his presentation. Um, and, and there's this issue, right, of that the Republican Party is looking for this warrior, this fighter, this avenger. Um, and that's what they found in Donald Trump. And he is he is the antidote to that. Um, and that is is his campaign message. Uh, he says he trusts the American people to make um, the right decision. I, I think my biggest takeaway was we asked at the beginning of the night for a show of hands of Who Uh was open to a Pence uh, presidency, to voting for Mike Pence or caucusing for Mike Pence in the case of Iowa? And at the end of the night, we asked whose mind was changed or who was more likely to caucus for Mike Pence because of what they heard this evening. And I think as I looked at the screen in Iowa, there were maybe three hands that went up uh, out of about 25 people. So this is an uphill battle. And we tried to get at this with some of the questions. Mike Pence is not trusted uh, by the MAGA view of MAGA world of the Republican Party, which is, say, 50 or 55 percent, because they view him as a traitor. Uh, It's a harsh word, but that's how they view him. And then, as you know, Blake, from your time on the trail, the Republican wing of the Republican Party, the the more traditionalist Republicans, don't trust him because he was so close and so loyal to Donald Trump. And I think we did get with him uh, on a couple of the issues that, as he was president, he and the former president had real disagreements. And look, maybe it's a credit to his character that those disagreements were never sounded out in public. Uh, they were always private disagreements. And into that point, he, he remains a man of great principle.
3: You know, one of the interesting things I found tonight was at the very beginning. I believe this was your first question, Leland. Uh, Mike Pence wasted no time trying to connect Joe Biden to whatever might happen twenty five hours and six minutes from now with the auto workers. listen to his re- uh, response, and I'll get your reaction on the other side.
0: but I would expect that the prospect of a strike among auto workers is just one other symptom of the failure of Bidenomics in this country.
3: Hmm. Uh, he, he wasted no time, Leland.
1: No look and th- this is the argument from all Republicans about uh, the where the economy is right now. And right. President Biden ha- is making this a signature moment. And this is something that Republicans realize not only works with the Republican voters, but even a lot of Democrats who are very unhappy with Bidenomics. You know, th- what is it? Uh, he has a 35 percent approval rating right now. President Biden doesn't and, and lower typically when it comes to the economy. Um, specifically about the auto workers, and I think this is an interesting point. And I think it's a theme to watch over the next 24 to 48 hours, which is why we started with it. Uh, This is Union Joe. This is Joe Biden, who has made become was a champion of of union workers. And he talks about that all the time. And yet, uh, as we talk to people in in Michigan, he feels as though a lot of they feel as though a lot of the problems that they face and a lot of the issues that they have with automakers is a result of Joe Biden's policies. And it was about a week ago that President Biden said he didn't think this strike was going to happen. Um, if right. it does happen and he has not been on the phone with the big three automakers and with the head of the UAW and using the power of, of persuasion, to borrow a term, of the presidency uh, to, to, to force a deal or at least to try to come up with one, uh, that that may have really profound effects um, going forward, especially if the strike lasts a while and the, the economic ripples of it turn into to almost tidal waves. Chief Washington
3: anchor, host of tonight's uh, town hall event, Leland Vitter. Leland, thanks. We'll see you back here in D.C. soon. Safe travels, bud. All right, Blake. All right, uh, Bob, I I can't help but think as we watch this town hall tonight and you Uh saw Mike Pence basically make the case of classic conservatism, right, for lack of a better term. It was on the same day that we heard from Mitt Romney, the 2012 presidential nominee, say that he represents, in his word, the wise wing of the party. (laughs) And here you have Romney saying that today, and Pence basically uh, making the argument as to conservative values, and that's what he's fighting for.
6: Right. And I'm not surprised that Romney decided to step down because he was going to make his decision in October. But with Trump being the frontrunner, he voted for impeachment a couple times. Yeah. I think we'd have faced a very difficult primary challenge. He, uh, Trump has gotten more popular in Utah. Uh, Romney could have won. I think if Trump wasn't the frontrunner, uh, Romney might have stayed on for another term. I mentioned Mitt Romney. Here's what he said earlier today.
0: Look, I represent a small wing of the party. If you will, I call it the wise wing of the Republican Party. Uh, And I don't believe we're going away. I think ultimately we'll see a resurgence and come back into leadership of the party. Uh, Look, uh, my wing of the party talks about policy and about issues that will make a difference to the lives of the
8: American people.
7: I admire people for standing for their values. And that's one thing I'll say about Mike Pence, is you can say a lot of things about him. He has actually always been someone who's been a student of the civil rights movement. He is someone who has lived a Christian life and really prioritizes his marriage. And I have to admire that. And I just need to shout out that this lovely night spending here with all of you it's my husband's birthday so for that reason I (laughs) have to say happy birthday to him
3: (laughs) (laughs) Um, before we go we'll get last thoughts real quick but Scott what does Mike Pence have to do next
10: Mike Pence has to convince pretty much everyone who knows him which is the problem is he is a known quantity he's got to change minds unlike Tim Scott or Nikki Haley they have a lot of people are like huh who is this person maybe I like them maybe I don't vice president mike pence has that problem and he's going to have to convince people who otherwise have a different opinion
6: uh he's a religious man i think he's gonna have to pray a lot because way behind (laughs) here and he's got a long way to go and he's gotta he's gotta redo his campaign i think
7: he's praying for that blue chip moment and i do when i listen to chris i don't think we're that hard on him but the the question of whether that blue chip moment is going to come, I'm not so sure.
8: I, I actually think he sort of said what, what you alluded to. Uh, he said, "I am well known, uh, I am well known, but not known well." Yeah. So he does understand that that he has to show the American voters who he is. Listen, elections are weird things. I got to tell you, huh. I was in the administration uh, in September of 19, uh, which is in the period that we're in now. I did not have global pandemic on my bingo card, right? We had been through a lot. Uh, We were, at this time, we were going into UN General Assembly. We were getting ready to go after the Iranians there. Did not have global 100 year pandemic of my ego card. So I say that to say so much can still happen. I'm so glad we're doing these at News yeah. Nation. I hope more candidates come on because it's not going to be one town hall that changes it for you. But you have to want the presidency more than you want your next breath. You have to be willing to do every interview, go to every small town, every diner. And so this is what all the candidates need to do.
3: Well said. We'll leave it there, Morgan. Thank you, thank thank you. you. Got Johanna. A bonus for that. Thank you. Happy
8: <laughs> birthday, CJ, Bob,
3: <laughs> Scott. Good to see you in person. Uh, thank you for watching this post show. Show to News Nations Town Hall with Mike Pence. We'll be back tomorrow on the Hill, 5 o'clock Eastern here in Washington. Until then, have a good evening. See you then.
9: Hello everybody. How are you? This is a very big night. I'm Chris Cuomo. It's Wednesday. We're live. So let's